I will certainly say these words or similar words on Sunday, but I, I just want to thank all of you for making this past Sunday just such a special day here at the Oasis. It was just, I think, just a tremendous time of fellowship, huh? true fellowship, more than just eating together. I, I saw people getting to know one another, people being introduced to one another, uh, people making connections. And that's really what fellowship is all about, getting closer to one another. Oh, yeah, and then there was the food. It was amazing. Just ama and I just want to thank everyone for all the help from those who basically turned this room around in such an amazing way to those that turned it back around after it was all over to all those over there in the kitchen and the cooks and all the food and the people that set up the tables and chairs everywhere and just cleaned up and just thank you so much. It, it's just, when we have days like that, it's just such a special time and it amazes me how God lays one passage on top of another from two completely different books and how they have a similar message, and we're going to see that again tonight in the book of Ephesians and how a lot of what Paul's going to teach us tonight here really goes along with our series in 1 John on what fellowship is all about. Because here in this passage we're going to look at tonight, Paul's not talking as much to individuals, although we could apply much of this to us individually as much as he is to us as a group. And he's primarily talking to Gentiles, which I'm assuming most of us in this room, if not all of us, would be a Gentile. I don't think there's any Jewish Christians here tonight, but if you are, that's awesome. There's nothing like a Jewish person who comes to know Jesus as their Messiah. But I want you to begin following along with me as I read this passage, and then I'd just like to share some things from my heart with you tonight about the operation of God and the objective of God that we see in this passage tonight. Paul says, Therefore remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision, by the so-called circumcision that is performed on the body by human hands, that you were at that time without the Messiah, alienated from the citizenship of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who used to be far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, the one who made both groups into one and who destroyed the middle wall of partition, the, hospi the hostility, when he nullified in his flesh the law of commandments in decrees. He did this to create in himself one new man out of two, thus making peace, and to reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by which the hostility has been killed. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and peace to those who were near, so that through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer foreigners and non-citizens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. Because you have been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. 
in whom the whole building being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Before we enter into this tonight, it is really hard for us in our day and age to understand the dynamic of what is taking place here of God taking Jews and Gentiles and forming them into one body, the church. We have to look somewhere else today, to, to other people groups, to those today that, you know, because of our racial divides and our ethnic, ethnic divides and cultural divides and all of that, to get some appreciation of what God did here some 2,000 years ago, and what he continues to want to do with his people, and we're going to talk about that tonight. So I want us first to look at the operation of God. That's what I'm calling it, because you'll notice, even as he addresses the Gentiles, and he talks to them about, oh, you're the circumcision, uh, or, or he talks to the Jews about them being the circumcision that's performed on the body by human hands, that he's saying, that's a human operation, and that's something that human hands can do, but God wants to do an operation that only he can do. He wants to perform it with his hands. He wants to do something supernatural. And what is the operation of God that he wants to do in each of us, through each of us, on each of us? He talks about that in verse 13 very specifically. He says, but now. And I couldn't help but think after those two words of going back to that dramatic contrast last week of when Paul said, we were dead in our transgressions and sins, but God, verse 4, made us alive together in Christ. And now he's sort of doing the same thing. He says, the Jews were way over here, and the Gentiles were way over here. They were as far away from each other as they could be. But now, he says, in Christ Jesus, you who used to be far away from each other, now have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace, you see. Now, before we get into this group thing of coming together, let's talk for a moment about individually here and how this can be applied even to us individually and how it even talks to us about fellowship in the heart of God. You see, even in verse 13, Paul is reminding us, God is always working to bring us near to him, always whether it's as an individual bringing us to a place where we come to confess Christ as our Savior and through the blood of Christ, we as an individual are brought near to God through the blood of Christ. Whether it's us as groups of people who formerly before we were Christians and hopefully after we were Christians were now brought near to those that maybe we would have never fellowshiped with, never been part of the same group group with, never been part of the same community with, but now in Christ we learn to lay our differences aside for the greater good of the kingdom of God and for his gospel and, and for the advancement of his kingdom on this earth. But even as a Christian, even individually, we must remember that God is always working even after we are saved throughout our Christian life to always again be bringing us nearer 
and closer to him. So that throughout our life, whatever is hindering us from being close to God, whatever obstacle is in the way, whatever barriers there are between us and God, God is always wanting to get rid of those so that you and I can get as close and near to God as possible, as we talked about Sunday, face to face with God. Because that's what it's always been about. That's ultimately why Jesus shed his blood on the cross, to bring us near. It wasn't just to, to have our sins forgiven and, and to be on our way to heaven and become a child of God. That's all great. But ultimately, even beyond all that, our sins are forgiven. We're on our way to heaven. All of that so that we could even now get near to God. That's what God's heart is all about. That's the operation of God always is seeking to bring us near to him individually. And then obviously, even again, as we talked about Sunday, that if we're embracing God, then we've got to begin to learn to embrace the people of God. Because we can't get close to God without getting close to his people because he's bringing us all together, you see. All of us together. In fact, Paul says, he is our peace. And you see this word peace. Four times in this passage, in verse 15, he created in himself one new man, making peace. Verse 17, he came and preached peace to you who were afar off, Gentiles, and peace to those who were near, Jews. Peace. See, Jesus wants us not only to be at peace with him, with God, but to be at peace with one another to remove whatever, as he even says here, hostility uh, is between us and others so that we can coexist in the same body, in the same community of believers, what the New Testament calls the church. And that's why the church is such a, a fantastic entity and why we should value it so and see it from God's perspective because there's nothing else like it on earth. It is the one place on earth where people of all different, you know, backgrounds, again, whether it's ethnic or racial or cultural or whatever, where they can come together and where we all can be one. Because I want us now to move from the operation of God, where we were all made near to him and to one another by the blood of Jesus Christ, verse 13, and now I want to talk for the rest of our time together because there's so much here to cover about the objective of God. Why did Jesus come and shed his blood on the cross to bring us near? What was the objective? Well, the first objective, and I've already sort of touched on it, is unification. To bring us together as one. Notice how many times this is related to us here in this passage. Look at verse 14. He is our peace, the one who made both groups into one. Then he goes on to stay and destroyed the middle wall partition. I couldn't help but think of the, the time when, as Christ gave up his last breath on the cross, and the Bible tells us that the temple veil was rent from top to bottom, and not only then was the way into the Holy of Holies, you know, made uh, available to us through Christ's sacrifice, but I think that, that when that veil was torn in two, it was also signifying this, that not only did God want to bring us individually closer and near to him, 
But God then was going to start calling out a people of his own, the church, and that he was going to remove everything that kept us from being able to come together as one under him. Notice he says that again in verse 15. He did this to create in himself one new man. Verse 16, to reconcile them both into one body. Look at verse 21. We are joined together. Verse 22, we are built together. God's objective has always been that his people come together. And by the way, the word joined, and I'm going to come back to this later on tonight, means literally to be fitted closely to one another. Now, I realize we're going to talk about this building metaphor that, that, you know, God doesn't expect us to be equally close to every last Christian that we're in the body with, because just like a building, some bricks or some stones are closer to others, and it depends on where God fits you. But God does expect that we be willing to be fitted in closely to other believers and that there would be people other Christians right beside of us as we go through life because that was the objective of God. And that whatever, again, differences we had, and that not that God wants us to give up our individuality, you see. God celebrates diversity and wants us to have that diversity in the body, but God also says, I don't want you to not be unified. I want to show the world that diversity can still exist in a group of people and that because we are all under Christ and we are being guided by his spirit, that again, we can lay those differences aside for the common good and the common goal of the advancement of God's kingdom on this earth. Listen, God isn't saying we have to like everybody, uh, every, all of our fellow Christians. We've got to love them, but we don't have to like them. And it doesn't mean that we have to, again, be buddy-buddy and close to every last Christian. That's not what it means. But what it does mean is that God expects us to be able to come together and not be divided by our differences, but to allow ourselves, again, under him, to form a body that we can be unified to pursue common goals and a common path and a common direction, and that we can all move in one direction rather than these few are going this way and these few are going this way and these, no, 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 one. One body, one new man, joined together, built together. And we'll come back to that. See, that was the objective of God always, unification. And I, I've said this to you before, I, my dream has always been that I could look out at the church that I pastor and literally see people from every nation in the world in the same church. Because I think it's sad to the heart of God that even today, you know, you have this church and you got that church and you got that church and you got denominations and you got all these different things. And, and what it basically shows is the objective of God is not being, you know, followed. And I, and I think one of the great things about, you know, and not that we're the only church, that's for sure, but one of the great things, at least so far, that's happened at the Oasis is we do have people from all different spiritual backgrounds here, all, all different, you know, places. And we've got people of 
different ethnicities and different color and all of that. I love that. See, I think that's the best testimony to the world, that we don't need this church for that group and this church for this group, but we can all come together just as God desired it, and we can all get along through Christ. <laughs> and that we can realize if my Lord died for me to be part of a body where I can learn to cooperate and learn to be part of something bigger than myself and, and, and learn to try to navigate relationships. And yeah, it's not always easy, but again, God doesn't call us to be literally close to every last person, even in our church. But what he does expect is that we are willing to be part of a community of believers and that we are willing to be fitted in by him closely, at least to somebody on both sides of us. Both groups. And again, it's hard for us to appreciate, but if God said, I can do this with Jew and Gentile, then that means he can do it with anybody. Any two groups. So let me just, to get you thinking, who's the one person or the, the group of, of people that just, you'd, you'd have a real challenge? God says, you know what? If they're one of my children then I expect you to be able to lay your differences aside and get along in my church, you see. Because if Jew and Gentile could come together, you see, back in, in Paul's day, there wasn't the first church of Gentiles and the first church of Jews. See, what he's saying here is, say, in Ephesus, I want Jew and Gentile in the same community of believers, in the same church. I want you together. I want you to show the world the love, the supernatural love that you can have to one another and again, that you can set your differences aside for something greater. In fact, one of the things that has divided the church throughout the years, and it's something I haven't even touched on in 1 John, but that John was dealing with is that many times throughout church history, there were groups of Christians that tried to create the haves and the have-nots. We got something that you don't. And you need us in order to get it. You see, in John's day, one of the reasons why John wrote 1 John is there was a group of people going around saying, we've got a secret knowledge about God that you don't have. And you need us in order to get that secret knowledge. John's like, no. You got the same Holy Spirit. I got the same Holy Spirit as you do. And so notice what Paul says here in verse 18. So to Jew and Gentile, he's saying that through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. There is no haves and have-nots. Yes, there's diversity, and yes, no two Christian is alike. We all have been gifted differently and all of that, but we all have the same Spirit of God, and we all have access to the same Heavenly Father. And so there should never be in the church this, you know, th these people going around saying, we've got something that you can't have. Well, maybe they have a spiritual gift or something that, all of us don't share, 
but you got the same spirit that I've got. I got the same heavenly father that you've got, and the blood of Jesus Christ has given us all the same access. You see? Because God did not want there ever to be the haves and the have-nots in his body because obviously that would create division. That would create a divide. That would create dissension. God says no, no. One. So that's the first objective, unification. The second objective in this passage is identification. Again, that's one of the main themes of the book of Ephesians. What's our identity? And notice what Paul says in verse 19. So then, even to the Gentiles, you're no longer foreigners and non-citizens. You're not on the outside. You're now on the inside as much as a Jewish Christian. You're now a fellow citizen with the saints and a member of God's household. You're a child of God. You're a daughter or a son of God. You're as just as much in as they are. And we all need to remember that too. There's no, well, we're on the inside, you're on the outside. If you're a child of God, we're all on the inside. There's nobody outside, you see. And that's our identity. We are a citizen of heaven now. We are a member of God's household. We are his child. And we need to cling to that identity every day. I'm not an outsider. I belong. You know, we live in a world today where people are like so wanting to belong to someone or something, and God is saying, I'll give you that opportunity. Come to my son, Jesus Christ. Believe in him as your savior, and I'll make you a, not only a child of my household, I'll make you part of a great community of believers called the church, and you'll belong. A believer should never feel like they don't belong like they don't have a place because all of us have a place in the body. Isn't that what Paul said to the Corinthians? The hand can't say to the foot, I have no need of you. The eye can't say to the hand, I don't have any need of you. Every part of the body has a function. Every part of the body has a place in the body. There's a reason for it, you see. And God is saying that's the way we should view one another. We all might not have the same part to play, but all of us have a part to play. And just like our physical body, we've got to learn to allow our limbs and all of our organs and everything to function as one, and that then creates maximum efficiency, and we, get, we accomplish something. If my hand's doing one thing and my foot's doing another thing, it's not really working, right? We, we learn very early on in our, in our lives when we grow up to try to make our bodies do as one and work together, you see. And God is saying, I need my people to grasp that as well. So the first objective of this great supernatural operation of God that's not made by hands is unification. The second is identification. Notice the third, orientation. Orientation. Notice verse 20. Because we've been built on, first of all, the foundation of the apostles and prophets. He's saying, guys, the apostles and prophets represent the revelation that I as God have given to human beings. There can be no greater, no more stable foundation than that. My revelation given through the prophets and the apostles. That's your foundation, always. And that never changes. 
It is solid. It is stable. It is secure. It is unchanging. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. It is sure. It is steadfast. We can trust in it. We can rely in it. We can depend on it. That's our foundation. And we should all, as the church, both as an oasis church, a community, and as individual Christians, we should be oriented to make sure that our foundation is the same. It is the revelation of God through the apostles and through the prophets. Then he says, each of us and as a church, we should also orient ourselves to not only the foundation, but to the cornerstone, Christ Jesus himself, verse 20. You see, every building in Paul's day had a cornerstone. Not just a foundation, but a cornerstone. Why was a cornerstone so key? Because every other stone in the building, in a sense, took its cue from the cornerstone. Every other stone was lined up to the cornerstone. In other words, the cornerstone determined the shape and the symmetry of that building, of that edifice. The building took shape based upon the cornerstone and where it was in relation to the cornerstone. The symmetry of the building was based on where they were in relationship to the cornerstone. And the same thing is true in our life. Individually, let's take that first. You and I take our shape and symmetry as a child of God, as a Christian in this greater body of Christ called the church from our relationship to the cornerstone. If you and I aren't lined up to the cornerstone, then we're going to be off. And we're not only going to be off, but then we're going to get everybody else off, right? Because just like a building, if there's one stone that's off, then it sort of sets every other stone off as well, you see. That's why it's important that you and I line ourselves up with our cornerstone. We always keep our eye on Jesus Christ and, and take our cue, if you will, from him. And the same thing is true as a church. He is the head of this church, the oasis. And there's not anything that we should be doing that is not in line with what he's leading us and he's guiding us to do. Foundation won't change. But as we line ourselves up to the cornerstone, we've got to always make sure that we are staying in line with the cornerstone. You see, that's our orientation, but it doesn't stop there. Notice Paul goes on to say that not only is there this foundation, not only is there this cornerstone, but then each of us, verse 21, each of us is a building block in the greater building. Each of us is a building block And that's why I want to come back to this whole concept of in verse 21, in whom the whole building being joined together, built together, verse 22. You see, here's why it's so important that you and I individually line ourselves up with our cornerstone, Jesus Christ, because Jesus wants to fit us closely together beside another Christian or maybe two other Christians, or three other Christians, a few other Christians. Because just like a block in a building or a brick in a building, there's at least going to be one on this side of me probably and one on this side, maybe one on top, one on the bottom. But I'm going to be surrounded by a few, not everybody, but a few. 
And based on the plan and purpose that God has for our lives and for our church, God wants to fit us closely in with certain individuals. And that's why we've always got to make sure, am I lining myself to the, to the corner? Because if I am, then that means I'm going to be also lined up with those people that God wants me to be lined up with in the body and to be willing to be fit closely together with them. If you even study this in the original language, you could even go so far as to say not just joined together or fitted together, but baked together. You know how when you're, you know, cooking or baking something, all the ingredients can be separated out there, you know, on top the countertop, but then as you begin to mix it and, and, and it gets baked, it, it's almost like it's, it's inseparable, it, it all comes together. That's the way God wants to see. Again, not that we lose our individuality, not that there's no diversity, but that we literally come together that closely. That's what the word means. So we have unification. We have identification. We have orientation. Look at edification. In verse 21, why does God bring us together? Because God says, my plan is that your growth as an individual Christian, don't miss this, your growth as an individual Christian does not take place in isolation, does not take place in a vacuum. You cannot, I cannot become all that God created me to be by myself. Oh, we need to hear that today in the body because so many Christians say, I don't need the church. I don't need to be part of a church. I don't need to be fit in with another Christian. I don't need to be joined together with others. God says, well, that's my plan. <laughs> and you and I will never grow to the extent that we could apart from being willing to be part of something bigger than ourselves. Why? Because again, why does God give us all these gifts and abilities and talents? So that all of us can benefit from what others can bring. That's why, I, personally, I, I think you would too. That's why I take offense, especially as a pastor for 35 years, when I hear Christians say, I don't need to be part of a church. I'm like, oh, so, so I gave up my whole life to follow God's calling for my life? Hopefully God could use you know, my life as he uses your life to benefit others, but you don't think that's necessary? So I guess my life doesn't count. Because that's the whole reason I'm living as a pastor and have been. Because I, I thought that was it, that I'm supposed to be following my calling so hopefully God can use me to benefit others just like God uses you to benefit me. That's how we all grow. By the way, this word grows in verse 21 means ongoing. It's in the present tense. It means it never stops until the rapture of the church or until we go to glory in death. It means growth is always to be a part of our life. As a church, we should always be growing, and as individuals, we should always be growing. Also, it means this. It is only what God can do. It is, this growth is not something that you and I can do on our own apart from God. It is a word that is only used in the New Testament to speak of only what God can do. See, God is the only one that can bring about this kind of growth. And God says, I do this kind of growth when you guys are fitted together and you come together and you benefit 
from each other and you profit from each other and you're strengthened from each other and you're encouraged from each other and it takes place together. That's the edification. But it starts with unification, being willing to be part of a group as one, then realizing our identification and then being oriented to the foundation, to the cornerstone and to one another. But I want to end with this. The last thing that was the objective of God was habitation. And this really talks about not only our series in, on fellowship out of 1 John, but really even sets the, the stage for our upcoming series on the heart of worship. Because notice what God says through Paul in verses 21 and 22. In him, the whole building being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. We didn't start off a holy temple. You have to grow into being a holy temple, you see, in whom you also are being built together to be built up into a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. In other words, it's not just assumed that just because we put a placard outside of our door and call ourselves a church that we are all of a sudden now a holy temple or a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. No, that's something that a church, that a group of people, a community of believers has to grow into. It's something that God has to grow us into. And what he's speaking of here, especially in verse 22, about being a dwelling place or a habitation of God in the Spirit is this, that God says, first of all, I want my spirit, as my glory did at one time in the Old Testament, I want my spirit to literally settle down and take up permanent residence in this church. That's what the words mean. Not temporary, not a visitor, not where the spirit comes in and just visits every once in a while, but where he's always here. That every time those doors of our church is open, we know that we're going to encounter the presence of the spirit here. Because one thing that this verse is teaching is not every church, just because it's a church, means that the spirit and the presence of the spirit is encountered there and is evident in that community of believers. No, it's not. But God says, I want to create that to where the spirit of God literally comes down. Because you remember in the Old Testament when God settled his glory down, there was a time where the glory of God departed. He says, I don't want any more of this because my people aren't doing it my way. And the glory of God departed from the temple. God says, I don't want that to be the case in the New Testament church. I want an atmosphere, an environment to be created in my church amongst my people where the Spirit of God, the presence of God, and the person of the Holy Spirit is evident every time we come together that we literally sense the presence and person of the Spirit of God. But it also means this. It means that God's desire is also that the Spirit of God would not only be evident, but he would be encountered and engaged where again, that atmosphere and environment would be that we, would, we wouldn't quench the Spirit, that we wouldn't be a community of believers that grieve the Spirit, but that we would let the Spirit who is evident here do what the Spirit wants to do and lead us where the Spirit wants to lead us and take us where the Spirit wants to go and do what the Spirit wants to do so that every time you and I come as a community of believers into this house of God, not only is the Spirit of God as evident, not only is he encountered, but we all leave every time changed and transformed by the presence and person of the Spirit. That we, that we never come to church and leave the same way. That we're always changed in some way through encountering the Spirit. 
that's what Paul meant when he says God's desire, God's objective is that you and I as a church become a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. That's what it means. See, that, that's what the goal of every church should be because that's the objective of God. That's why he operated <laughs> That's why he supernaturally performed an operation not only to bring us to God and bring us near to him, but so that we could be brought near to one another. So that there could be unification and identification and orientation and edification and finally habitation of the Spirit. And I am so thankful that I do believe that the Spirit is evident here at the Oasis. And I believe that there is opportunity for us to encounter him and to be engaged with him every time. But folks, that's not something to take for granted or think it's always going to be that way. You and I have got to continue to grow and allow God to grow us so that every time we come here, we are also not just touching the Spirit, but we are transformed by the Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, I pray tonight for all of us that our heart's desire would be to be a part of a church that is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, becoming a dwelling place, a habitation of the Spirit of God, where the Holy Spirit literally feels comfortable in the right way, that, that he can come and just sort of be amongst his people here and, and settle in and be at home in this place. Because God, without you here, without your presence, why are we even meeting? What's the, what's the purpose unless we can meet with you? We just then become just a social organization, just just a, a place where people get together and do social things together and, and, and yet nothing of real eternal value is being accomplished. But God, that's not what you desire for your church. You desire it to be a place where God not only is your spirit so evident in his person and in his presence, but where we can encounter him and engage with him to such a level that we're changed by him transformed, becoming more like Jesus Christ each and every day. And maybe it's even where the Spirit has the opportunity to comfort us, to refresh us, to strengthen us, to grow us, but just to meet us where we are. So God, I pray even tonight that the Oasis Church would continue to be a place where your spirit dwells. And that God, even tonight, I'm going to already even ask for Sunday that these next couple days at this auditorium, that this entire campus here at Greenfield and Queen Creek would just become such an evident dwelling place of your spirit that even when people get out of their cars and begin to walk on this property, 
that they sense your spirit is here. That there's something different about this place. That this isn't just like some other place or some other church. That God is truly here in a powerful way. And he's very present and he's very active. And he's always at work amongst his people, in his people, and through his people. Because God, if that's not the case, then I ask, why are we even meeting? So, Lord, I pray tonight for us as a church that that would always be our goal, that that would always be what we pursue. Use us, Lord, in this day and age to make a difference, to be distinct, to be different, to be able, unlike other churches and other places and other Groups to, to not, that cannot lay their differences aside and, and come together to, to pursue a common goal. Lord, help us to be able to do that through you. To become truly one in Jesus Christ. To orient ourselves to the cornerstone. To allow you to fit us closely together with other living stones in this great building that you're building. And to bring glory and honor to you each and every day, each and every week that goes by. Until we see you, Jesus, one day in all your glory. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you next week.